This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And uh, today we have an interview for you from Hawaii with, uh, with one Taylor Kellerman. Yes, and he is the director of diversified agriculture and land stewardship at Kualoa Ranch in Hawaii. In on um, Oahu. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And my phone just did the, the terrible courtesy of reminding <laughs> me that we were in Hawaii a year ago. Yeah, it's it's a it's a year ago this month. Um yeah, yeah. the first the first reminders of that uh that I got were just so strange because they came, you know, on day like whatever of me not showering in my house <laughs> during <laughs> right. during quarantine. Um and uh so right, what a what a heck and difference a year makes. I know. Um and I've gotten some advice to to look at old pictures if you if you can't leave and you're getting mm-hmm. sort of kind of like I've got to do something stir crazy looking at, yeah right 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 um and a lot of them are from Hawaii and a lot of them are from Kualoa Ranch because we did take a lot while we were there because as we said in um, the episode where we heavily featured Taylor it was one of the most beautiful scenic interviews we've ever done. Yeah, that was just a so 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 Kualoa Ranch um is this uh large property out on Oahu that uh that is is used for I mean and and we go into this in the interview but um but there's a bunch of uh agriculture there and they also have a bunch of tours because it's been uh, used in in the film industry to film a whole bunch of different things like for example one scene in Jurassic Park um and uh and so in addition to the interview, Annie and I went back um, during our off time because we took off time, weird, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, t- took one of those film tours. And, oh, the location is just ludicrously gorgeous, just these tall green mountains and all of these flowers and trees and plants. And, you know, d- during the middle of this interview, like, like I keep getting distracted because, A, it's just beautiful, but B, like some some of their cows were wandering through and mm-hmm. like rustling around in the bushes, like velociraptors. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And it's, oh, uh, and I, I, and I hope that some of the soundscape 
winds up coming through for y'all because it was so gorgeous. Yeah. I remember after the interview was over, Taylor showed us, because he, if I'm remembering correctly, he lives near there as well. And he mm-hmm. showed us the the picture of he sees every morning when he wakes up. And it was just yeah. like beautiful green mountains and water and valleys. And I felt both so happy and just in awe that someone lives there and gets to see that every day and furious. <laughs> <laughs> it is so stunning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, we did we did the film tour. And um, I another thing they filmed there is Godzilla 1998, which a regular <laughs> listeners will know I bring up on every occasion <laughs> that I can. And I watched that a few nights ago on Netflix because, yes, it is on Netflix. Um, and they had the big Godzilla footprint still there. Right. Yeah, they did. Oh, I'll mm-hmm. okay. If if I if I remember to, I'll try to post some some of our photographs from from that on social. Um, I, I've been I've been remiss in posting to social because there's so much going on in current events with uh, with Black Lives Matter and with coronavirus that I honestly haven't felt like adding a bunch of messages from a couple of white girls about a food show has really been part of. The necessary conversation that's happening, um, but but gosh, they are beautiful photos. And um, and Taylor and and everyone we ran into at Kualoa were really amazing people. Um, and yeah. they're they're also um, they're they're starting to open back up right now, aren't they? Yes, yes. Uh, as of now, which the date is, as we record this, June eighteenth, twenty twenty. Very impressed with myself. Um, <laughs> yes, as of today, they are starting to reopen. Um, some things are opening earlier than others, but you have to prove that you've been quarantined for 14 days, which is good. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you are there and are interested, check out their website. All the details are there. But yeah, they're starting to to reopen some things. Huh. It's it's if you have a chance to get out to Oahu and you furthermore have a chance to get to Kualoa Ranch, I absolutely recommend visiting. Oh, Absolutely. They 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 they're not a sponsor in any way. That's just nope. me saying that. Just yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. But in the meantime, while you wait for that wonderful day, we hope you enjoy this lovely interview. Mm-hmm. We like to start these things off with just a nice simple uh hi, who are you? My name is Taylor Kellerman, and I am the Director of Diversified Agriculture and Land Stewardship for Kuloa Ranch Hawaii. Um, and that, that's a neat little package of a title, but, uh, but your job encompasses quite a lot around here, doesn't it? Yes. So <laughs> when you look at uh, basically what my responsibilities entail, we have quite a bit of properties. We were talking about around 4,000 acres. Uh-huh. So I am in charge of everything that's fun, interesting, <laughs> and beautiful. So um, everything from all of our aquaculture, livestock, and agriculture operations. Also our land stewardship and conservation. And then uh, landscaping and sustainability. So my umbrella kind of covers everything that would involve um, resource management and anything to do with um, how we do it. But heavily focused on agriculture. Have you always, you've been in, in a little bit of, of research and development for a while. Was that also having to do with agriculture? Have you always been in agriculture? Yes, yep. In fact, I graduated from the University of Hawaii um, on the Big Island uh-huh. with a degree in tropical agriculture. Oh. So I worked in the pineapple industry for a long time. I worked in uh, vegetables and greenhouse uh, hydroponic production for a long time. Uh, research and development with um, seed genetics for quite a while. And then um, I started working here about four years ago. Um, how did you know that you wanted to, I mean, did you always know that you wanted to be in this field? You know, it was funny because uh, I, honestly, I always had a garden as a kid, but I grew up as a surfer kid in a surfer town right down the coast. And my dad worked for a bank. So it was really more of a, I need to find something I want to do. What am I interested in? Well, I like growing plants. and then. Once I got into the schooling side of it and then the practical application of a lot of things I was learning, then it, it just, from then on, it was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. So um, from about 18 on, I would say, yeah. Wow. Um, I'm 24 now. 
No, I'm kidding. You're 23. I know. Really. I had kids very young. Yeah. 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 Five or six. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. My 10 year old will, you know, not agree with that. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, how um, have you been doing a lot of learning on the job, teaching yourself on the job here? You know, the thing about this place that's been really unique is that I've always come from a situation where production value was key. You know, okay, let's take the resources we have and see as much sustenance and food as we can produce. Whereas here, our economic model is as such that we're duly supported by a diversified economy with events, um, tours, movies, a lot of movies are shot here. Um, but what that allows us to do is not only do the agriculture we want to do to help support community, but then we also get to do try a lot of kind of new things. So when it comes to on-the-job teaching for this, it's really kind of twofold. And number one, seeing it not only for the value of what it can produce, but how sharing it with people can be the most interesting experience, you know? Um, it's, I wouldn't say more important, but just as. And then also... Um, What's been really neat is, is rather than oversight of one or two crops, we produce over 40 here. Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> it's, it's being able to um, figure out all of that. That's probably been the biggest learning curve. Animal husbandry, agriculture, aquaculture. I mean, it's all different disciplines as well. So Sure. Yeah. Is this the first time you've been working with animals? It is, yeah. So when I applied for um, this job, it was funny because, you know, they sit down and they, do you, have, you have aquaculture experience? Yes, because I was worked in the past. Do you have, you know, agriculture? Yes. Conservation? Yes. How about cattle? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but I'm willing to learn. And what's interesting is that I have always considered myself that, you know, oh, that's cool, but I'm, I'm more of a plant guy. And it is incredibly addicting and appealing. And to the point where my son, who's 10, is now, I mean, that's what he wants to do. He's, I mean, that's, he comes to all the brandings. He's, we've got cows and pigs and sheep at my house. I mean, he's, it's, it's really, it's really cool to watch and learn through his eyes because it's just such a great way to see the world, you know, when you kind of see it through those unabashed you know, un, un, unopinionated eyes. Exactly. Kids are fun like that. Highly suggested at some point. <laughs> yeah. This, this, this might be a weird question, but it just popped into my head and I can't help myself. Which is, which is more like opinionated, the plants or the animals or maybe the, the uh, ocean, the aqua? You know, so that's a really good question, actually. Aquaculture is the scariest because it's the quickest one you can screw up. Agriculture is um, the most responsive to your uh, actions and the most predictable. Livestock, I think, is in a weird way the most comforting in the sense that you actually have response from the other end. You know, because a lot of times, because we do a really cool system of raising heritage breed pigs in a deep litter system so that there's no wastewater or anything like that. And... Uh, I mean, they recognize your face. They know who you are. They know who my kids are. I mean, it's, it's just incredible to um, be dealing with something that reciprocates personality. You know, yeah. it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I haven't hung out with any pigs, but I've heard that they're great. They're way smart. Super, super smart. Yeah. It, it, I've always heard that, but you're always going to go, yeah, okay. Oh, sure. Whatever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, you say. Yeah. And then you, you do it for a while, and it's incredible how intelligent they are. So... Cows, not so much, <laughs> but they're really cool. No, bless their yeah, hearts. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what makes them fun at the same time. <laughs> so. They're like, go over here. They're like, okay. They're like, sure, no problem. <laughs> um, has uh, has getting into these uh, into these different areas um, changed the way that you eat? Definitely, um, you know. I was definitely, I cut my teeth on industrial commercial agriculture. And uh, I definitely to a, to a degree will still defend that type of agriculture simply because there's so few of us who produce food that there is a need for a certain type of efficiency that just can't be gained in some of the other um, disciplines I've seen. But 
what's really opened my eyes is that the way we've been doing it can definitely be improved and modified. And I think the mentality of embracing nature as a partner and a friend rather than a medium for you to do your sterile work in is, is definitely long since past my mentality. And I think over here, doing as much diverse crops as we do, I think when now I go through the grocery store and, and, and with my kids and my family and my wife, you really embrace and, and have perception of what went into all of that. And, and I, I hate to soapbox it a little bit, but it's kind of like one of those things where they always talk about stick to the outside of the store. Yeah. You know, it's the middle that's not really, it really is true. I mean, if you start looking in, I, I, even, even at some of the quote unquote healthier stores, I mean, you, you know, your body doesn't know the difference between refined beet sugar and dehydrated cane syrup. If it's the second ingredient, it's probably something you should look at. And I think um, having the ability to, to show my kids how things are raised, bring that home has been huge. To the point of with animal livestock, there is that, you know, that thing was standing. Yeah. So definitely it, there's been a huge impact on kind of how I eat, particularly through with like what you do with your family, because it's easy to make personal decisions. But when it comes to making decisions for others. Could you could you break down a little bit about what each of the departments that you that you work with here does? Um, sure. I, I I like hesitate to call them different departments because it seems like they're all probably closely inter- interrelated. They are, yeah. So, you know, I, I'll start ironically with our land stewardship department. So, you know, we are just about 3,800 acres, a little bit over. About 1,500 of that is in permanent rainshed management. So undeveloped, unforested, unpastured, on anything. And so we manage that just like you would another area of the property in the sense of, you know, there's certain target species we do for invasives um, that have really detrimental environmental effects, like albizia trees and things like that. There's certain species that we want to promote, native species that will propagate and, and outplant. Um, riparian management, so stream health, spring health. We a lot of our water comes from these mountains, you know. So anytime you you want to have a robust ecosystem within your farm and your property, if you have the ability to manage your rain shed, that's massive. So we take it very seriously. We actually have eight full-time employees that are full-time conservation employees. Our livestock department, we are grass-fed, grass-finished beef production. We're not huge. We only only process about eight to 10 animals per month, but it's enough to support our community around here. Um, And then we also do uh, heritage breed pigs. And um, sorry, I think that's a pig up there. We have wild pigs in the forest. You can hear it walking around. Hear that? <laughs> Interesting. It's probably going to come down and poke us out and look at us. <laughs> um, and then we do some sheep also, but uh, right now we're still figuring that part out. Aquaculture, we're actually, we're really well known for our oysters. So we are the only grower of commercial um, oysters on island, and then we do shrimp, Pacific Gulf shrimp, and then we also do fin fish as well. Oh, cool. Uh, as far as um, agriculture, our primary crops are orchard crops simply because it allows us to do more with less in regards to human resource because that's a real difficult thing. Oh, sure. You could talk your ear off about that. But uh, we do mostly breadfruit, um, which is very popular over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of taro, which is very popular over here. We also do a lot of um, papaya, banana, and then cacao. So we do make our own chocolate. Oh, wow, cool. Um, that's one of our biggest crops right now. Um, the, the Hawaiian chocolate movement is a really good way for people to have a value-added product that helps support their regular food industries. And then we do about 12 different kinds of vegetables and about 20 different kinds of tropical fruits. Oh, wow. So lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's, but that's um, better for hypothetically better for the land, isn't it, though, to, to it not is. Uh, monocrop? Yep. So what, what we do is even within our, you know, our ag areas are kind of broken up into geographic locations. So we have three in each valley. And within those, we do 10 or 12 different crops. And what that allows for is um, uh, enough diversity in flora and fauna that, you know, really there is no bad insect or bad fungus or bad weed or bad pest. Mm. It's just when 
a single species is allowed to build up enough of a population to become detrimental to what you're trying to do. And almost every species in the world is controlled in some way in, na in nature, whether it be by allocation of resources or pests or, or, or predators or things like that. So if you've got a biodiversity within your area, nature should control itself, which is a good example of where my mindset's certainly changed mm -hmm. um, with how, from when, how I was taught many years ago. Sure. Because it used to be just spray it. And now it's like, no, you don't need to spray it. Just have other stuff around. And then, you know, then, you know, you, you get a good symbiosis of populations and nothing should ever build up too much. Oh. I, I have the feeling that that is not what a lot of people mean when they say organic these days. You know, we're not certified organic. And it's funny because um, people always ask me that. And, and the honest to God truth is we're not, I'm not planning on pursuing it either. I have nothing against it. It's something that I don't speak poorly about it at all. I try to offer context once in a while in the sense that when you see the term organic, source it, is it coming from a marketing or is it coming from the producer? If it's coming from a producer, it, it actually has a value to it. If it's coming from a marketing, Take it with a little bit of a grain of salt because it is used as a, as a monetary metric these days for price increase. And so the way I look at it is I coined this really cheesy terminology called responsible agriculture, which just means when making decisions, you hold the environment and the health of your customer first and foremost. So that way you're, you're not necessarily, because there's, there's agronomic methods that you can use organic ingredients for that there are alternatives that might even be better for the environment. I'm not saying what they're doing is bad. I'm just saying it's all relative, you know? So that's kind of, we try to look at more, okay, let's look at it as a whole environmental approach rather than just, I'm gonna niche myself here and do what this requires. Yeah. So. Thank you for saying that. That's like like organic is a little bit of a of a marketing phrase is a thing that we yeah. we, we we try to it's such a buzzword right now and so many people think that it's helping. Right. Well and, and it, it it's it's all about so so you can you can raise plants and animals in an organic way that passes army certification that still has irresponsible impacts on certain parts of our environment. That's, that's just a fact. And I'm not saying people, it, it means it's doing it. I'm just saying it goes both ways. Yeah. So I think really, I think the slow food movement is, is a really cool concept because you're just looking at, I, I, I'd much rather buy something I know is produced down there than something that was certified organic from Norway, just because <laughs> yeah. conceptually, I feel like that's really more of how I would want to move forward. So, yeah. We have some more of our interview with Taylor, but first we have a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Let's get back into it. Could you could you talk a little bit about the about the tourism and and uh do, do you feel like it's like infotainment? Like uh that's that's what I yeah. jokingly call the podcast no. sometimes. And you know what's funny is that it's a forced infotainment. I've never heard that before and I'm putting that in the mental Rolodex because that's really funny because it's very true because edutainment is another is another good one. You know what it is is that we have a lot of cool things that people like to do here. We do zip lines, you know, things that have a small footprint. Um, so it's, think of things as like a minor or small environmental footprint and a large uh, economic impact, right? Zipline, horseback, controlled ATV in the sense that you're not just go ride, tear up everything. It's on trails that we maintain and things like that. But while you're here, we're going to force you to learn a bunch about agriculture. So, uh, you know, good example. You guys seen Jumanji, right? The new Jumanji. So the, the, the transportation shed where they do the like dance fighting. I just know this because my kids love that movie. So we've repurposed that building, moved it. It was filmed here in the back of the valley. We took the whole building down. We instead of destroying it, we that's what our our piggery is in now. And so when you're gonna go on the movie site here to learn about all the movies like Jurassic World and Jumanji and Fifty First Dates or whatever, you have to pass through one of our ag areas to get to all these things. And in that time, we're gonna teach you a little bit and hopefully some of it sticks. I'm sure in some cases, in a lot of cases it doesn't, but <laughs> it's it's just that step-by-step -step nature of everything, you know? But it's, it's you know, the, the tourism side, the hard part about Hawaii, and I'm sure you've heard this, if you've interviewed in that many people in Hawaii, the economics of agriculture I'm sure has come up. And anytime you're growing things on a piece of property that's worth well more than what you could ever grow. Huh. You have to have some sort of dual income. Um, some people do it by uh, value added, like Kohana Rum. You know, they've got a really cool concept. By the way, that building that their tasting room is in, um, I used to get my hair cut there by the plantation store owner that used to run that store. Because oh, I wow. used to work on the pineapple plantation right there. Oh, how? So huh. 25 years ago. Tangent. <laughs> but if you want to be economically successful, you have to look at ways to increase your bottom line and you know growing a raw product and selling it to a producer is not really viable these days in this state at least so do you take your cacao pods and take it all the way to craft chocolate that's one way to do it do you take your 27 varieties of hawaiian sugarcane and turn it into craft rum that's another way mm -hmm. do you take what you're doing and share it with people that want to come and zip line on your property that's another way so that's kind of how, how we look at it. So forced infotainment <laughs> and um, dual economy. You know, it's interesting because we have these beautiful pastures and these beautiful valleys and everybody goes, oh my gosh, this is the best pastures ever. But typically in Hawaii, it, the prettier it is, the mo less productive it is because our grasses are not very high in nutrition. Oh yeah. So mm. if you've got a monocot like this, that like is all one variety. Sure. It's, it's, so when pastures look like this, as weird as it seems, this is some of the most productive ground we have because you've got 14 different species in there. Wow. And so as far as crude protein and nutrition, it's going to garner more from this area than it would in that really pretty sure. rolling hills. Sure. Yeah. That's great. Have you guys worked with any dairy at all? No. Yeah, the dairy issue was huge when I was younger. Uh -huh. um, but unfortunately, the last dairy in the state just shut down about two months ago. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's just... Um, there are certain products that it's no matter how you sit down and pencil out the numbers, it will be cheaper to bring it in on a ship. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. I, what, one of my favorite yogurt dairy producers um, in Atlanta just shut down over the oh, past wow. year. So. Yeah. Um, so just, just strange. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's such a good product and I guess at a certain point, yeah. You know, ironically... A lot of our paranoia, and now I'm going way so boxed. I should probably stop myself. 
A lot of Americans' paranoia on food safety creates a regulation system that's actually antagonistic towards small producers, which, oh. is, which is tough. Yeah, um, that was probably... The milk being a hard one. Ab yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and thanks to uh, to the mobster, right, for that Al one? Al Capone. No. He was one of the first Americans who really pushed uh, for rules around milk, specifically concerning like babies and uh, uh, stuff like that. But it, it was it was part of him getting into the pockets of local politicians. Okay, yeah, because the whole legalized raw milk movement kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. We have something called legalized pai, which is a type of uh, food that you make with your hands. That same exact uh -huh. concept. So it's just an ironic bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> My whole life is an ironic bumper sticker. <laughs> um, are there are there any specific weird? I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about about some of them already, but but are there any specific food industry agriculture weirdnesses uh, around around legal issues in in Oahu or Hawaii? You know, I think the main thing is the food safety. Um, you know, it, it comes from a good place and it's meant to be a good thing to have a uniform system of food safety regulation in processing and in packaging. However, being that it does impact the smaller people, um, it's going to be getting all of those small producers up to speed in an already kind of hectic economic environment. Yeah. And now it's like, and eh, you got to put this in, you right. know, so it's kind of one of those things. But Luckily, there's been a ton of people who have taken upon themselves to create nonprofits around teaching and implementing systems for the smaller farmers, even if it's kind of like more of a, um, an aggregator function in the sense of, okay, we'll take your products and then we'll do the post-harvest mm -hmm. because we have a facility that meets FISMUC standards and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think, really the only thing that's based around that. Everything else, I think, is just... I think we're, we're, we have a lot of support around local food movement, just as, as I'm sure you guys do as well. You know, there's a, sure. there's a good system of people that will pay a little bit more. Like, I, I always think of America's funny in the sense that as soon as there is money to be made, it will rise to the surface. And I feel like there's enough people who care about where the food comes from and care about what um, goes into it that now all of the big guys kind of jumped on that bandwagon, which... Sure, it's for commercial reasons, but who cares? Right? It's it's really in the end what's gonna what's gonna kind of help out the little guys. So yeah, like we'll take it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, what 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 is it like being part of the uh, food and bev community around here? You know, we're not very big, and so um, like I'm I'm fairly certain I probably would know everybody you guys interviewed. Hey, you yeah, you came in. We complimented you on the head. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know the the neat part is is that. Um, you guys did a show in North Carolina, right? Yeah. There's a Nashville show. Yeah. Okay, so I actually equate us with North Carolina a lot because they had tobacco, we had sugar mm -hmm. and pineapple. So you have these huge, huge infrastructures and tracts of land that were monocropped for 115 years and then they just left. And so now we're left with a lot of people who maybe want to be food producers, but number one, either they don't have the experience or it's just getting that model functioning. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, in North Carolina, the things that I've looked into is a lot of the tobacco money, the, the litigation money was used to kind of create infrastructure around that. Mm -hmm. And we didn't necessarily have that injection of funds, but we have had a lot of support through some of the younger, you know, our, our, our government's slowly changing in the sense that the age group is changing. And yeah. I feel like once you start having representatives and council members who have that same kind of age group mindset as um, us 20 year olds, uh -huh. then, uh, yeah. <laughs> then, then things start to change. So I, I think that that's gonna be key. And I, I definitely feel like it's, it's, it's moving. We also are all so small. I think we all realize, unless we're collective. So I'm really fortunate to sit on a, a nonprofit on the board as the president called the Agriculture Leadership Foundation of Hawaii, ALFH. Yes. Um, and we do a leadership program every 16 months that's supposed to create leaders within the industry. And then we also put on an ag conference every two years. And um, there used to be a lot of siloing of the groups. Mm -hmm. um, like, if you guys run into another state, it's like, I'm more organic than you are. 
like really weird, like, you know, like battles between, and it's just the oddest thing in my opinion. But anyways, we, we had a little bit of that, like, you know, the Hawaii Farmers Union versus the Farm Bureau and mm. all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That's definitely been broken down incredibly in the last few years because I think everybody's realized, holy crap, we need to, we need to work together or else this isn't going to happen. So that's been really cool. Yeah. I'm really um, happy about that. No, that is, that is awesome. Um, uh, huzzah for human nature winning out over mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that other thing. Um, yeah, no, we, we were talking to, uh, to Senator Cruz uh, yes. yesterday. Um, yep, Donovan's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a good example of somebody who's doing the aggregator over in Whitmore. You know, and he's, he's, he's kind of driving his crew of homies. You know, he's got a good crew of younger guys. And, and he's, he's clearly looking out for Central Oahu because that's his district, you know. Mm -hmm. But he's, um, the, the Whitmore project he's doing with ADC is a very good example of helping small producers get through the whole safety regulation. Right, yeah, yeah. He was talking with us yeah. about that. It seemed really cool. How have you how have you seen the island changed since uh, since you grew up here? So, funny question. I could I'm gonna restrain restrain myself. Um, <laughs> I first and foremost, I want to preempt anything I say with the fact that I am a um, supporter of everybody and anyone who wants to be positive in this world, because I, I really have seen how people. How hating has gotten really popular. So I always try to say, I'm not a hater. This is my observation. Tourism and the military are the biggest economic drivers of this island. Tourism is changing, and that has changed the entire dynamic of this island because tourists no longer want to sit at the pool. And I think this is true with everywhere. VBRO um, and particularly Airbnb have changed in the sense that I want the authentic experience. And when you want an authentic experience, you are now going to be sharing or competing for resources of residential communities, which is fine, but it's change. And um, that has changed the asylum the most by far, because you now have that coinciding with being able to drop points. The landscape of the island is now shared the way that it didn't used to be, yeah. which is, is, is okay but it's definitely just changed things. I think sure. that's how I'd leave it. I wouldn't say bad or good, but all of our infrastructure values and all of our systems to support tourism haven't caught up yet. So okay. it's created a little bit of issue in that sense. So, but um, that coupled with the fact that all of our plantation agriculture is gone. And um, so you, you, you really just have uh, Kind of a changing landscape altogether but i think it's true for everywhere i don't think it's really unique yeah i think i think everywhere we've been anyway just the you know cell phone like smartphone era right um uh and and all of those uh, uh disruptor businesses right have um mm. have just caused like I think in the long term, it's going to be okay. But right now, it's like that part of a traffic jam where everyone is just sort of totally. like, what is yeah. happening? I think it's going to work out. And it's funny, you know, because, and I, I made that preempting conversation because it drives me crazy when I when I hear people, oh, you know, they're, they're in my town and all this sort of stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, you know, I'm pretty sure your dad moved here from California. Like, <laughs> why can't they come here? You know, who's to say that you're, we call it the last man in syndrome. Oh, You know, sure, where yeah. it's just so ironic because... Why shouldn't other everybody be able to come enjoy this place, right? It's beautiful. Why, why are you, why are you part of this elite group? I don't get it. Right. Um, so it's just doing it correctly. And like you said, I think it's just it's a little confusing right now. Social media has also created a way to have those haters <laughs> have a collective voice, which has been interesting. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But I, again, I, I don't. I'm not negative towards it, but I, I am looking forward to when it settles out, which it will. I know it will. So yeah. Do you happen Do you happen to know anything about the history of ranching in Hawaii? A little bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it's actually incredibly ingrained in our history uh, because you know the first cattle were brought to Hawaii by um, Captain George Vancouver in the late 1700s as a gift to you know one of our first monarchs that you know was able to get everybody together. So Kamehameha the first, and they actually put a kapu or a um, like a taboo, I guess, is a, a like English word on it. And they were let to roam free. And then, you know, 50 years later, all of a sudden, the impact of the environment was quite clear. 
So they brought in um, Spanish vaqueros, which was mispronounced and what eventually became paniolo, which is the term for Hawaiian cowboy, mm -hmm. to teach uh, Hawaiians how to um, handle cattle and horsemen, horsemanship and things like that. And by the late 1800s, Hawaiians had become so adept at it and so good at it that uh, they were going to Wyoming. And there's stories of Mr. Purdy going to the Wyoming Rodeo in 1906 and winning the whole thing. You know, so there's a huge history behind it. And, you know, ranching has become part of the landscape. And so I am very fortunate to be a part of something that's been going on for a couple hundred years now. And it's something that I think that you know, you talk about preserving open space. Honestly, ranching in Hawaii is more prevalent in that sense of the word than agriculture these mm. days, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and, I, and I don't, not that ranching is not a, you know, regular land ag. Yeah. Sure, sure. It's still very alive and well. Um, most of the ranches, uh, you know, a lot of the ranches these days are getting back into finishing animals here. It used to all be, you know, be for the state. Mm -hmm. And then economics made it as such that most of the operations became cow-calf and we would sell, send all our calves to the mainland. That's still pretty prevalent in a lot of areas, Big Island. Hmm. But um, it's definitely started to shift back into a more local production. So, Can I ask, can I ask what you, uh, you and your family ate when you were growing up? <sighs> what we wanted to eat <laughs> or what we did eat? Both. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. So... As I'm sure you've heard from a lot of people, you know, our culture and our cuisine is very based on multi-ethnic mm -hmm. um, scenarios brought on by plantation labor. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of nicer, more political ways to say it, but it's just we had, you know, Korean, Japanese, Chinese, Filipino, Portuguese, Caucasian, Hawaiian, you know, all of that kind of thing. So we probably eat rice with every other meal, you know, that's one thing. And like my kids, it blows their mind to go to the mainland and not have um, chili served with rice. Uh -huh. You know, when you get the crackers, they're like, what the hell is this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to do with it. But um, we, you know, we, we ate a lot of uh, things that I think someone from the mainland would find normal and a lot of things that would seem more um, Asian influenced. And a lot of, my dad was born and raised here um, and my grandfather moved here in 1919. So. My dad's very heavy into um, harvesting things from the ocean. So we ate a lot of, you know, things that we caught growing up. And, um, you know, food's expensive here. So having two brothers, you, you find those dishes that you, protein's usually this much, your rice is this much, and then you have a little bit of vegetable. Yeah. But I definitely can say I'm raising my kids a little differently when it goes back to one of your questions earlier. Mm -hmm. So... Because I think a lot of a lot of what we ate was also just. I just feel like health is a little more of a concern these days. You know, amount of preservatives and things like that. Oh yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> it it seems like you guys have. I mean, again, it's expensive, but uh, a wide wide bounty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, lovely things. Yeah. Um, what do you have like an average day? What does your like daily schedule look like? So I get to work at 4.30 in the morning. Um, and that is because I can do emails in silence. Um, I, have, I do have an office down here. We right kind of by where we met. And then uh, I have a total of about 47 people that work for me. And then luckily I, I have some strong um, managers, you know, in between the, that kind of oversee each department. However, um, we're really short people right now. So if you know anybody who wants to work in a cool place. So right now I'm managing two of those departments. So right around seven, I will go and head out. And, and in all honesty, a lot of it just has to do with uh, the two areas that I'm short managers. I, I go and I meet the crews there, make sure they have their daily activities. One is our livestock department and one is one of our agriculture departments. A big part of what I do is drive around. And I know that kind of seems stereotypical, but there's a real reason for it, which is anytime you work in a place that's this large and anytime you work in a thing that's this diverse, you're typically pretty focused and that's good. But I have to be the person that not only sees the whole picture, but also has the context 
of everything, you know, because not that, I mean, I am no difference in intelligence than anybody I work with. However, I'm just a little more informed on the bigger picture simply because of the executive meetings I attend, the fact that I report directly to the owner, that you, you, you know what I mean, it's that kind of thing. So a lot of it is um, inspecting what I expect, um, resetting expectations, and then helping guide vision, and then helping produce resources. A lot of the people I work with are younger and um, newer to the farming and agriculture scene. And a lot of the problems they're running into, I ran into like 724 times before, just because, sure. you know what I mean? So yeah, you're just yeah. You've been there. kind of yeah. identifying and working with them and offering advice and stuff like that. But I, I end work at around four formally, and then I pick up my two sons, and then we go back and we, I, I usually save um, fun stuff. Like right now, um, one of the sites I'm managing, in fact, we're doing this right after this, we gotta go <laughs> cut bananas, harvest bananas for um, some of our deliveries tomorrow and uh, fertilize papaya, turn on some irrigation. So save mm -hmm. the fun stuff for the kids. They, <laughs> yeah. I'm very lucky and my kids really love this lifestyle. So they're super into it. And then it ends around six and then it starts all over again. <laughs> yeah. But it's fun. I, you do it because you enjoy it. So, yeah. Sustainability of the state of Hawaii, it's a very relative term. And, and I try to get that. All right, I'm going all in. <laughs> you, you, you hear it spoken about in, within people outside of the industry as a very definitive black and white thing. We will never be able to sustain the population of this island. We will always need imports. The more we can move that needle, we're succeeding. There will never be an end game. There will never be a point where we are sustaining ourselves and our imports are just the things that you know, can't be produced. And I think the thought process behind that is um, futile. And the thing that worries me once in a while is, is I think politically they, they, it makes such a good story that the drive is on this way end of the spectrum. And, and I just really wish it, it was a little more of a realistic term mm -hmm. because even the governor put forth something that, you know, increasing by 20% by 2020. Ooh, no. That's so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not gonna happen, you know, but, <laughs> but the kind of thing that I think comes down to is, um, is, is you, you gotta have goals. If you don't have goals, you can't, you know, move forward. I think that that's kind of where we come into play that we are essentially in, a, in what could be considered a food desert. I know that's ironic, but when you think of the closest grocery store that way is 20 minutes, mm -hmm. same for this way. Wow. In Hawaii, that's a long drive, right? 40 minutes oh, is sure. a long drive. So we do have a small retail outlet here that we sell things out of that you know seems kind of rinky-dink, but the amount of stuff we run through there is huge. And I think it's just people in the neighborhood. Mm. So the more we can do that type of thing, where we're um, supplementing and we're um, giving people options, that's the real goal, I think. You know, uh, When it comes to the mentoring, I was a big brother for a long time, so this is a big brother shirt. And uh, I always look at it as that's where a big part of the, the Ag Leadership Program comes into play. Because we have a lot of people who want to get into farming that don't have farming backgrounds. And I love it and I encourage it. And I think it's amazing. And one of the first things that they struggle with is the realism of it. Because I think you really need to talk to people and work with people and get them in, involved in, do you want to, do you love farming or do you love the idea of farming? Hmm. Because it's two very different things. And um, I think that you can, through good mentorship, transition one into the other. Whereas if you just throw somebody out and let them hang, they're going to probably give up pretty quickly, yeah. you know. But it's hard because I'm also considered, I think, kind of a hard ass a little bit simply because... Um, I've been around long enough now too, where it's my job to set expectations. And if they're not being met, then we discuss them and mm -hmm. reset them and give every opportunity to, you know what I mean? It's like, we're not there to come down on people. You're there to make sure people know what they're supposed to do. And yeah. if they can't do it, then you coach them and that kind of thing. But um, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting older. <laughs> I'm that guy. I've been told I'm really good at work for if you like to work. <laughs> which i was like i don't know if that's a compliment or yeah i'm not really sure but yeah 
Yeah, but mentoring is really, really important. I had some incredible mentors when I was younger and it made all the difference in the world. And like, you know, you know, we all have those moments that you can recall in early adulthood where you're, you, those concepts clicked for you, whatever it is, you know, like those yeah. times you're like, oh, I totally am going to process that and keep it going. Um, most of those came from my mentors, not my parents, you know, mm. so. Mm. We've got a little bit more of this interview for you, but first we've got one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga! How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And back to the interview. What can consumers um, and, uh, you know, up to and including like, like restaurateurs um, do to help people like you? Don't come with a list. I think that's the best thing. And I think that's even true for restaurateurs is, and, and, you know, as a restaurateur, I can see why this is a difficult ask. So I completely appreciate how it's a difficult ask, but a producer, even one as diverse as us, is, is never going to have everything you want if you've already made your menu before you contact us. So the idea is work the other way around. Um, I think it's the same with consumers. Don't come with a list. See what you have. You know, I know I've heard stories of CSAs being difficult for people because they just don't know what to do with this stuff. Sure. So it's up to us as producers to help with that also. You know, some people put their recipe cards in and things like that. So... Um, I feel like the initiative and the desire is already there to work with local producers. Um, I feel like when it, it, it is more difficult and sometimes the challenge is people just kind of going, screw it, you know, I'll, I'll go, because it's so much easier to just go to a wholesaler because you just say, I want 10 pounds of this, five pounds of this, and boom, comes to your door, everything, yeah. Yeah. you know. With local producers, you got to go to this guy and then you got to go this guy this guy doesn't have it so then you got to go this guy oh recipe's got to change you know <laughs> it's more difficult but if you can find value in it in your restaurant economically it'll work out but as far as the home consumer goes i think just like i said be be open yeah yeah so right now I, i'm really geek i like chocolate and coffee can you tell? I <laughs> you want to talk about it? We can. They're, they're, no, they're, they're, they're pretty good things to, uh, to consume. Yeah. The chocolate thing is really cool because 
chocolate, so, so when you think about value in, in product, right? You can either grow something no one else can grow. You can grow it in a region or a geography that you can claim, terroir, Napa, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can um, value add something, right? So in Hawaii, we, we, you know, we don't really have a lot that you could really say is specific to Hawaii. You have kula onions, kula sweet Maui onions, and you have kona coffee. Those are two very good examples. Chocolate's the next one because people really, really like it because there is some sort of, um, the industry's really taken to where it's a brand new industry that's just going craft direction. So it's kind of neat. There's no intent to be a, a commodity chocolate. So it's been, it's been really interesting. Are you guys familiar with how to make chocolate? Yeah. Okay, so the fermentation process is, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning, but I'm the main fermenter for us. Oh, yeah. And we're doing about oh, cool. five to 6,000 bars a year. So we're not tiny, but we're definitely not big in the least sense. But we really want to start looking at um, seeing if we can take it all the way to the end. Yeah. As far as the bean to bar portion. And then uh, I just am really excited about learning new things that I never thought I'd learn before because we're now looking into um, trying some agroforestry, which is something I never thought I'd be into, but you know, kind of looking at areas of land that may not be that are actually kind of like this. Uh-huh. And do we, you know, figure out ways where we can put a bunch up in there and do the story in the canopy and that kind of thing? And I think the most exciting thing I have going right now is that I just hired on two new people, which is super fun because they're new managers and they're new people that like are, are, are on the younger side, super hungry. And I have like the coolest locations that they get to manage and all these cool projects. And so I get super geeked up on like starting off with somebody who's really just kind of, I don't know, and then within a year or two, they're cranking. That, to me, that's so cool. And you know, the, with that being said, you also have to be open to letting them go, you know? Fly dove, kind of <laughs> the baby dove. So th- those are really kind of the main things I think that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. And our piggery is pretty new, so that's really fun. Yeah, um, we got to talk with um, uh, Dylan. Uh, Butterbaugh. Yeah, yeah. So he makes all of our chocolate right now. Oh, cool. Dylan's awesome. Oh, yeah. Did, he was did you meet great. Tamara too, his wife? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tamara's, Tamara is, uh, she is amazing. I was, um, so Dylan, this, is, this gets weird. Dylan, Tamara, and I all grew up in the same town. Oh, dang. Um, I know his dad. Uh huh. <laughs> <Dylan, yeah, crazy. laughs> his dad also is the architect for part of this thing that I worked at. Anyways, long story short, they're awesome. We all went to the same high school, albeit many years apart, but they're killing it. And their chocolate's fantastic. So, we take our dried beans to them and they make our, in fact, we were just going to see them next week. So, yeah. and it's, it's a really, I mean, cause Tamron's sister works there and Dylan's brother works there. And I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's such a neat thing to see. That's the kind of thing, like when you, when you take your beans in and then you, they, you know, it's pay for service. So I pay them per bar and then we get the bars back and it's just such a, that's the kind of stuff I think it's cool. We, every time we have to go external for something that we do, we always try to stay on the east side of Oahu uh, first, uh-huh. just because it's supporting your community. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that fermentation process is real fun. It's yeah. super cool. That's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's always my favorite part about anything. Whenever yeah. you get to talk about, uh, start talking about bacteria or yeast poop, I'm like, yes. Totally, I mean, and, and there's so many little tricks to get the acetobacteria to kind of really, I'd never fermented before, and I called three of my really good friends, one of them being Dylan, and asked him a bunch of questions. And then I spent like six hours on YouTube. <laughs> and I did a really bad job on a few of them. And then, and then every time you just get a little bit better, yeah. you know? So, and I'm still a total infant, and, but it's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of those things like, you know, it's always cool to pick a pineapple and share it with somebody. But when you're like, I got chocolate. You know? yeah, people are like, yes. Yeah, that's yeah. always fun. <laughs> um. Well, we usually like to, to wrap up by asking you uh, <laughs> what questions we should have asked that we didn't ask, or if there's anything that you would like to speak to that you haven't had the opportunity. Any other soapboxes you want to pull over? Yeah. I got one, hmm. and, the, and this isn't something you should have asked, shouldn't have asked. I, I, I wouldn't say that, but this is just something that I would I would always like to say. You remember we talked about small batch craft 
production, which is what I consider myself. And then you talk about commercial agriculture. You talk about the outside of the aisle, the inside of the aisle. You mm -hmm. talk about corporate ag versus small farmer. Um, we are fed by a commercial corporate ag system that is now basically a requirement in the United States because we're at a 2% or less of actual food producers versus non-food producers. Wow. That was driven by a consumerism mentality that was nobody's fault that was over 70 years. You know what I mean? So it's, it's not like somebody decided this is the way it should be. It was something that was very, you know, so it's a very large ship. It's a very big, big ship. And you can't make a ship just go and turn all the way around. And I really um, find sometimes it upsetting when certain things are villainized. Yeah, they probably could be, I, no doubt they could be improved upon. No huh. doubt there's things that should be changed. No doubt that we should be collectively voicing our opinions to help that change. But I really, really think that if you don't work in food production, be a part of the positive change. Don't villainize and tear people down because it doesn't help anything. I think that's my soapbox. Because it's just really odd. I've never figured that out. Because I, I'll be the first one to say that we do need to change how we um, produce, allocate, and distribute food in this country. No question about it. But let's do it through positive change, collective movement, identifying these things, and then helping whether it be with your dollar, your business, if you're a banker, if you're a landowner, whatever. But uh, I, I really like to avoid the that's wrong and this is right, particularly when it's very niche and very um, black and white, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think that's kind of my thing. We have this saying over here, because if you're, if you're a, and maybe it's a saying other places too, but um, if you grew up here, a lot of people, you go at night on the beach with flashlights and you catch sand crabs. And it's really fun, right? Mm -hmm. We did it last night, actually. Um, and uh, we call it crabs in the bucket because what you'll see is you'll see a crab that'll kind of get to the edge and you'll see all the other crabs try to drag them down. Do you guys have that saying too? We call it crabs in the bucket because we it's just, you know, don't, we don't want to be crabs in the bucket. We want people to rise to the surface that are doing the right thing. We, we want to let change happen in a positive way. But you don't need to put yourself in a more positive light or an improved situation at the expense of someone else. I think that's kind of my thing. I never could figure that out. It just doesn't seem cool. <laughs> this doesn't seem like a cool thing to do. So yeah, that's yeah. my only soapbox. I am as delighted by the phrase, crabs in a bucket, mm -hmm. this time as I was the first time hearing it. Um, yes. That is so wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, what a, and, and, and just what a great sentiment. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean for humanity in general, but, but especially during troubled times, you know, just trying to, trying to help, help people out. That's what it's about. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And if we can be a part of that for you listeners, we'd love to be. Um, you can email us. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SaverPod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to Taylor for talking to us. Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! 
Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.